Well, friends, here are some realities we have to understand if we're to engage meaningfully in mission in the 21st century. Number one, the vast majority of the world's Christians are found in parts of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Only 3% of the world's evangelicals are in Europe. Do we get that? 3% of the world's evangelicals in Europe. To put it another way, if the congregation was 100 people, three of them would be Europeans if that congregation represented the world church. Reality number two. It's not just that the majority of Christians are found in parts of the majority world. Uh, It's now also increasingly the, the reality that the majority of missionaries are being sent from the majority world, parts of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Of course, the stats are hard to pin down exactly. Some say it's about half and half. Um, as in Europe and America sending and Africa, Asia, Latin America sending. Others would suggest the sending from the majority world is already greater uh, than the Western world. Mission hasn't been about sending from the West to the rest for many, many years. Missionaries are being sent from everywhere to everywhere. everywhere. We saw a snapshot of that a moment ago. We, We praise God for that reality. Reality number three. For the church here in the UK, maybe we've been used to being at the center of mission endeavor for a few centuries now when it comes to the world church. Maybe we've got to learn some humility when it comes to our involvement in world mission. We need, for example, to be humble to receive missionaries in the UK. There are plenty of contexts and places where we need the help. And so we could go on with the modern realities of mission today because the world has moved on since Hudson Taylor got on his boat and sail for China all those years ago. And yet, this is really important for us to understand, we mustn't confuse a changed context with a changed commission. Yes, the world all around us has changed, but the mission that God calls his followers to take part in hasn't. We're to make disciples among the nations until Jesus Christ comes again. So thinking for those of us especially here, sending and involved in mission from the UK... Yes, of course, we'll have to adapt our mission service to reflect the changing context around us. But the privilege and the responsibility to send in mission, well, that remains for every church in every part of the world, the UK church included. So this evening, we're going to be reminded of something of the joy and the privilege of sending workers into cross-cultural mission, both close to home and around the world. And to do that, we're going to focus in here on the letter of 3 John. We're told apparently it's the least read book in the New Testament. Don't know who decides that's the case. I don't know, but that's what they say, so we'll go with it. Uh, It's the shortest book apparently in its original language in the entire Bible. But it's full of absolute gold dust. Gold dust when it comes to thinking about the ministry of sending and supporting workers for mission. Let me read it for us. 3 John. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. 
It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Quick summary, what's going on here? John writes this letter to his friend Gaius. He's the elder in a church. John's writing basically to thank Gaius for receiving some traveling gospel workers, evangelists, missionaries, whatever you want to call them. John's writing to thank Gaius for receiving these people into his church gladly. And he's writing to urge Gaius to then send these workers on to the next place in a manner that honors God. We haven't got too much time to go into this really now but let me just quickly make the comment it's striking in three john that we see there's a link between the maturity of a church and a church that sends in mission a link between the maturity of a church and a church that sends in mission john commends gaius there in verse three for being faithful to the truth in verse four he he says that gaius is walking in the truth in verse eight uh, he says that They are working together for the truth. Interesting little phrase, for the truth, repeated there three times. Guys, is faithful to the truth. He's walking in the truth. He's working together with these gospel workers for the truth. How is he doing that? Well, by sending these workers on their way, we see in this letter. Someone here being faithful to the truth and walking in the truth and working together for the truth. All those signs of maturity in the church in this letter of 3 John, they're linked to sending from the church. Let me mention just two things this evening then about the sending church that we can take from 3 John. Here's the first. Friends, let's embrace the privileges and responsibilities of being a sending church. The privileges and responsibilities of being a sending church. Now, of course, many of you are very experienced in this ministry of sending, but perhaps for others, it's a little newer to you. I wonder what springs to mind when you think of sending and supporting missionaries. Well, perhaps in your mind, there's that line in the church budget that we know is to support mission elsewhere. There's the financial aspect we've heard about this evening. And then, well, of course, there are the prayer times or the prayer points we receive for missionaries on the weekly notices or at the midweek meeting or the Sunday service. And so we're doing some giving and we're doing some praying. Well, perhaps that's the mission support thing kind of covered. Now, of course, the ministry of sending includes those very important things. But as we've been hearing this evening and as we'll see here in 3 John, the ministry of sending is so much more wonderful and it's so much more weighty than that. Let's think something about the privileges we see here in 3 John of sending workers 
on mission. Look with me at verse 7. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. It was for the sake of the name that they've gone out. These workers are going as representatives, as ambassadors, as messengers of Jesus Christ himself. They've gone out for the sake of the name. That is the name above every name. The name before which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, there are so many causes to support in our world, aren't there? So many good ones, worthy of our time and energy and investment. Yet what a privilege to partner in this. This life-changing, essential, eternal work of seeing the gospel go to the nations. And then there's the privilege of verse 8. Take a look with me at that verse. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Working together for the truth. Here's the idea that as people involved in sending and supporting in mission, we're fellow workers for the truth. This is incredible. This shows us the, the, the beauty and the, the, the wonderful nature of the ministry of sending. As you support your mission partners as a church in Romania and Nigeria and India and Senegal and Germany and North Africa, the UK, maybe I missed some along the way. There's a genuine sense that you are in this work together. You're not just observers or funders or supporters. No, you're partners. You're working together for the truth. For those of you already heavily invested in this, some of you know that for years and years and years. Friends, I want to say be encouraged. Keep going in this work. It's a precious ministry to be involved in. And for those of you maybe for whom this is all a bit new, this ministry of sending, well, find out a bit more about it. Talk to the mission team. Talk to the church leaders. How could you get involved? We've had some great ideas already shared from the platform this evening. Don't miss out on this wonderful ministry of sending, of working together for the truth. And there's another joy here. For those of us here in the UK who maybe in our hearts of hearts would love to be the ones who've been sent at some point in our lives. And for all sorts of reasons, we're still here. Friends, you're not stuck in the second division of God's mission plans. You're not missing out somehow on his global purposes. No, the senders and the goers, we can work together for the truth. So there are great privileges in sending gospel workers in mission. We are workers together with those who've gone out for the sake of the name. Yet, of course, with those privileges come responsibilities. Look again at verses 7 and 8. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people. Notice the sense of obligation here. John doesn't say, well, look, you know, there there are these mission workers. They're they're sharing Christ. They're going around the place. You might want to think about chipping something in if you've got a bit of spare cash lying around at the moment. No, No, John says these guys command the support of their brothers and sisters. Gaius and his fellow church members should help. They ought to help. Why? Again there in verse 7. It was for the sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. 
If God's people don't support gospel ministry, there's not a big queue of other people waiting to provide the funds. And this sense of responsibility here in 3 John also comes as we grasp the significance of of how we're to send, the manner in which we send. Verse 6. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. In some translations, in a manner worthy of God. I mean, think about that for a minute. What a responsibility that is. What a high calling. Do we see where the bar is set for the ministry of sending in a manner that honors God, that's worthy of God? Someone has put it like this. There could not be a higher standard of generosity to emulate, but then there could not be a higher or more worthy service than theirs. We're to send in a manner worthy of God, a manner worthy of the God who's given everything that we might be saved. In a manner worthy of the God who gave his son, the Lord Jesus, that we might not perish, but have eternal life. And we just think for a moment what that means. This is the kind of attitude that should characterize our sending of Christian workers. It ought to be selfless and sacrificial and generous and lavish and unconditional. So what a privilege, friends. Oops. And what a responsibility to send and support gospel workers the gospel mission. We are workers together with those who have gone for the sake of the name and we ought therefore to support such people in a manner worthy of God. There's something then about the privilege and responsibility of sending. Second thing to think about, okay, what is involved in being a sending church? Again, we've had some great uh, encouragements and examples of that already this evening. We want to move, don't we, from being inspired and having a, a passion for sending To think about the reality of that in the day-to-day life of our local churches. What's involved in being a sending church? What does it look like day-to-day, week-to-week? Well, let's see what we can learn from 3 John and other places in the New Testament. You know, the commentaries tell us the word send, used here in 3 John verse 6, has a sense of being sent forward, escorted or aided in people's journeys and travels. And to understand how that works out practically, we don't just need to look at the letter of 3 John, because the New Testament is littered with examples of churches that send. And the same sending language of 3 John is found in eight other places across the New Testament. The majority speaking about local churches like yourselves sending people in mission. We're going to do a very, very quick whistle-stop tour of a few of them. To see what we can learn about what does it mean to send. What did these sending churches of the New Testament actually do? Well, there's the church in Antioch. You read about it in Acts 13. Famously, as Paul and Barnabas are sent by the church. And what's being called the first planned overseas mission. Carried out by representatives of a particular church. You see what the church in Antioch does. It does the following things. It sets workers apart. It discerns and recognizes calling in missionary candidates. It's a church that commissions workers for their service with a laying on of hands. It's a church that continues to partner long after they've been sent, receiving them back at the end of their mission. It's a church that prays, that shows concern, that offers hospitality. It's the church in Antioch. Then there's the church in Rome. Paul has never been there. 
But in Romans 15, having declared his desire to go to the places where Christ is not known, what does he say? Listen to this, Romans 15, 23 and 24. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Striking how high an expectation Paul has of this church that it might send them, might send him on his way, that he might benefit from their sending ministry. The church in Rome, as you read it in fuller context, is to be involved in financial support, Paul hopes. And the provision of practical assistance, the food, the logistics, maybe even co-workers who could be sent with him on this missionary journey. And until he goes, I love that bit there in Romans 15, until he goes, he sees the sending church playing a crucial role in his refreshments and fellowship in his own Christian life. It's the church in Rome. There's the church in Philippi, a church, of course, that Paul planted. Their relationship is so deep and genuine, full of joy. They're clear partners in mission work together. Their giving is generous. Paul talks, doesn't he, in Philippians about the fact they were the only church that would undertake financially for him in a particular time. And their partnership, we learn in the New Testament, encourages ministry elsewhere. The church in Philippi. Then the church here in 3 John. The church of Gaius. The sending churches to provide hospitality, finance, a warm welcome, a generous sending. We get just a glimpse here, friends, don't we? A glimpse of the, the breadth of ascending ministry, the breadth and the depth of sending workers with the gospel. You know, we, like those who shared on the stage this evening, we've known personally the joy of being on the receiving end of this kind of love and practical service from our sending church. And we can tell you what a blessing it is. What a huge blessing. As we prepared to go to Southeast Asia, people invested in us and they trained us. As we were set apart by our church to be sent, so people supported us. Thousands and thousands of pounds pledged by friends, family, others we hardly knew at all. When we felt distant, supporters flew thousands of miles just to come and visit and to be with us. When we rejoiced at gospel progress, people joined us in that rejoicing. When we shared the heartaches of life overseas, people shared in our sufferings. When we came back on home assignment, people prepared toys for our kids and debriefs for the family. When we faced a possible medivac at one point, people were mobilized to pray. When we had practical needs, whether it was homes or holidays or vehicles or vaccines, every single one of them was met. When we came home from Indonesia much earlier than anticipated, disappointed, disorientated. Our church welcomed us home. They listened through our tears. They gave us time and space to recover and to find our feet. It meant the following, friends. As future pastors at the Bible College where we were teaching, were inspired to lead, we hope, mission-minded churches. And as students were trained in evangelism to Muslims, and as a small number came to faith, so praise God, we together sending church and ourselves in Indonesia, we were workers together for the truth. What a privilege. What a responsibility to be involved in sending. Friends, can I ask, will you keep committing yourselves to this wonderful ministry of sending as a church? Again, praise God for all the ways you're involved in this already. If this is newer to you, there's a little leaflet you might want to pick up on the way out. Being a supportive sending church 
For those of you already involved, this I'm sure will teach you absolutely nothing at all. But give it to someone you want to get involved in your mission team. It could help you. And let's keep thinking also, how can we grow in this ministry geographically? Where are the parts of the UK? Where are the parts of the wider world that we would love to send people to? Let's commit to praying as we were talking this morning that God would raise up and send out workers into the harvest fields of the world. Our time is nearly gone, but let me just say one thing as we conclude. You know, if God is moving your heart these days for mission, don't do what some people do, okay? What some people do is try to get involved in mission like they try to choose a holiday. What I mean is this. They go online, they type in mission or mission agency or mission trip, and they, they scroll through the agency websites, 10 or 12 of them, and they, well, that, well that's a nice, that looks like a nice country, nice photos. That looks like a nice team. The food there looks way better than the food over there. And uh, what do they do? Well, then they go along, they sign up to a team, and a few months down the line, they go along to their church and say, oh, by the way, I'm thinking about going to this country over here. Will you support me? <laughs> totally back to front, okay? In mission agencies, we love to say, look, talk to your church first, okay? That's the place that is going to send you. That's the place that knows you best. That's the place where you've been given leaders to equip you for works of service, Ephesians 4. And if that is the place that God has put you in, work with those that God has put around you. And if the church wants to send, by all means, get in touch with us or the other mission agencies that you partner with. We'll be delighted to help as you continue on that journey together. It's been a joy to be with you. It's been really encouraging for me to see all that's happening already in this church as you send and support so many people around the world. May God bless you and help you as you continue to pursue this vision. And may God continue to raise up many workers from here to go to the ends of the earth. Let me pray, and then I'll encourage you to stand and sing for our closing song. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these really special words in the letter of 3 John, where Gaius is encouraged to send people in a manner worthy of God in a manner that honors you. We thank you and we're really encouraged to see such evidence of that happening from this place for so long. Pray particularly this evening that those involved in sending would have hearts that are full of, of joy and encouragement as they leave this place and a resolve to keep going at it. Encouraged by the things that have been shared by their mission partners already. Encouraged by the things that have been uh, revealed to us from your word in 3 John. And we pray, please, that you might raise up many more senders from this place, people who will take an intentional involvement in praying for and supporting pastorally and giving financially and welcoming people home and, and asking the, the challenging but helpful questions. Lord, that the breadth of ascending ministry we've seen this evening is, is, is huge. And so with the different gifts you've given to this church family, we pray that the mission partners who've been sent will be blessed wonderfully and supported so well. And Lord, we pray again for any who might be thinking about mission uh, for themselves, um, perhaps challenged by the example of those who are going before them. Oh Lord, please would you hear our prayer that you might continue to raise up and send out workers from this place as you've been doing for many years. We pray it might be for your glory and so that we would have the joy of seeing many, many more people saved and coming into your kingdom. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>